This is the Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're back talking about Marvel Studios Moon Knight. This is our season one wrap up and we're talking about the assembled making of documentary. There is a scene on the cliff. Uh, Mark talks to Stephen and then we go back to Oscar like three, four times. What the hell's wrong with you, Stephen? Me? You're the one going on a killing spree. What he did was magical. I'm just changing the camera and he's changing as a human being from Mark to Stephen. And Mark and Stephen are completely different and it's not easy for Oscar. I suggest you start listening to that stupid pigeon. Stay out of my way. By the end, it was really fun because you could just see in just the eyes, you could see when there was a shift. You know, you, you didn't even have to change everything. You could see when, oh, oh, oh there's Mark. Mark's here, you know, and, uh, and that, was, that was really exciting. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to Defenders on TV Podcast Industries. We're back for a wrap-up of Moon Knight, which will include a discussion about the assembled making of documentary available now on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we'll also be going through our pub quiz questions and answers and giving away some Moon Knight goodies later on uh, in the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I am one of your other hosts, John. And we have got a very special guest with us today. He's very special to us. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, Chris isn't here. Chris is off on his honeymoon. If you uh, if you heard um, our Picard podcast, uh, Chris is off having his honeymoon three years after he got married, I think. Basically, yeah. yeah. So we've replaced it with someone better. Sorry, Chris. Uh, <laughs> our wonderful friend, Ray, the high priest of Katsu and the leader of Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, the one and only Moon Knight podcast. Ray, welcome aboard. Oh, thank you so much, Derek and John. Always Always an honor to come onto the show here. And um, yeah, it's a special time for us Moonies, uh, Looney Moonies. So yeah, can't wait to discuss. Great stuff. Yeah, I don't think I dressed for a high priest, actually. <laughs> Didn't I? Uh, no, I'm just in t-shirt and jeans. I, I should have worn robes. I'm, I'm wearing my full robes. Uh, this is not. Uh, this is an audio podcast, not a video podcast, so I get away with that, right? That's true. <laughs> Damn it, I shouldn't have said anything. Okay, yes. I'm in my full robes. Yes. There, you go, there you go. But we couldn't let the opportunity pass to uh, to talk to Ray about Moon Knight. Um, we've, been, uh, we've been listening to Ray's podcast about Moon Knight now for, what, four years now, Ray? Is that about right? Yeah, about four yeah. years, I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we know how excited you are. We know you've been uh, following the production of the show all the way from the start. You have uh, you have episodes dedicated to just little morsels of information that were coming out about Moon Knight. And then you did uh, two episodes a week about Moon Knight. Um, so overall, what's the experience been like as a Moon Knight fan getting a Moon Knight show? Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's so weird. Um, you know, the first thing is obviously very surreal. Actually having Moon Knight, uh, having followed the character for a long time in the comics and not really believing that he'd ever make it on screen, but you know, mm -hmm. from 2008 onwards, as Marvel uh, released more and more material, it was like more and more possible that Moonlight would mm -hmm. come out. Yeah. And then when it got announced, I think 2019, I can't remember, uh, but when, that was great. Uh, and then just yeah. so riding the wave when the the TV show hit and just enjoying it for you know as much as I could. And you know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't bumpy. I guess with the the changes that the show made to the character, and, and if you are coming from a comic book background, you are asked to, you know, to take some things on board that are very different from the comic. Yeah. But overall, it was just a, a magical, magical time. I and, and having watched um, the assembled and making of Moon Knight, I just want to watch it all over again. You know. Mm. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with that. I uh, I regularly was quoting uh, one of your uh, comments that you made early on in the season where you were saying that uh, as a Moon Knight comic fan, going to the show is going to be as as different as difficult as it will be going mm. from the show to the comic books afterwards for fans who have just seen this idea of having Stephen Grant this particular way and Mark yeah. Spector another way and going to the comic books you won't get that sense they are very yes I, I always actually remember uh, there was another podcast I was listening to and they had Declan Shalvey on and uh, you know comic mm. book Moon Knight fans would know how integral he's been to both the comics the look of Moon Knight and the TV show uh, by way of influence and he said something really cool and, and i kind of always remember it he's he said something along the lines of why should i uh, be upset that it's quite different from the comic book when when my run with warren ellis was very different from basically the character the volumes before and and he's totally right i mean one of the mm-hmm. the fantastic things about moon knight and the comic book uh you know canon is that uh, it's so diverse it's so different each writer brings such a different thing. And, yeah. you know, why can't the TV show do that as well? So I think if you take that on board, and look, I don't want to try and convert people. If people don't like it, I mean, of course, they're, they're absolutely allowed to, and um, people have ideas of what they want mm-hmm. to see. That's totally fine. But it's just that that's how I kind of see it. You know, you know it's, it's different, yeah. and uh, there are great things about it, you know. Um, what, what I... Mm-hmm really i don't know kind of it rubs you up a little bit the wrong ways when people say it's only in name like uh that's the only common ground between right. that and the comics yeah. it's like there's so much to yeah yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's weird isn't it because i mean creators everyone I, I guess when we did the marvel 616 documentary I and mean, they're just talking about writing and saying how you know, it used to be looking through the window and then it was looking at the reflection back mm. from the mirror in terms of putting your own things into um whatever you're creating, whether yeah. that's a comic book, whether that's TV show or a movie or a book, you, you name it. So nothing can ever be the same. And it's slightly, I guess it rubs me up the wrong way a bit about when people just want something photocopied. And mm. that is what, an artist, an actor, a director, a writer is never going to do. Otherwise, effectively, mm. it's plagiarism. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's yeah. like they're, they're going to put their own spin on it. And yeah. I think um, like with Mohammed Diab, there, certainly from the assembled mm. um, documentary, you know, it was just interesting him as an Egyptian talking about bringing in the Scarlet Scarab, mm. you know, making it um, uh, female and having that Egyptian superhero. That was something that you could sense was quite personal to him mm-hmm. from that. So I-, I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's always good to uh, sort of shift the dangers yeah. around, I guess. Absolutely. And I, and I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I've read a lot of Moon Knight over the years. It's not, it's, not, it's not a character that I've read everything of, but I read lots of different runs. And... I suppose he's probably the most difficult to adapt directly from page to screen because, as you say, he has changed quite a lot. There's particular runs that are really good and lots of people like different runs, but you'd have to choose a run 
to put directly onto the screen if that's the way you're going to do it. And then you'd have to ignore everything else. And I think they did a good bit of cherry picking across yep. the 40 years yeah. to, to pick out some elements that they can Definitely. put together into one coherent version of the character. So uh, so for that for that way, I think that they've done a, a reasonably good job uh, of, of bringing this character. Yeah, no, I agree as well. I mean, not only, like, as you say, Derek, with the runs and cherry picking from the runs, but there's so much to the character himself, like so many aspects to pick. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, as yeah. as John, you said, uh, Muhammad Dayab, he chose, you know, to highlight a certain aspect of Moon Knight more, which, you know, draws from the Fist of Conchie Volume 2, Volume 1, uh, the Lemire run as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, yeah, other other points may take a back uh, a back seat to it. Um, you know, yeah. you get less of the mercenary side of, of Mark Spector, that sort of thing. Um, we did get the, the teasers mm-hmm. of, of course, Jake Lockley, which is always nice, quite quite delicious um, but um yeah for the yeah. most part i think it's uh it's really just trying to find a uh, I th- yeah I, th- I just think they did a really good job trying to kind of pick bits and pieces from um from all over yeah. rather than have just say a uh, a true to form 2006 houston photocopy version mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and and, yeah. and it's like um it's like you're saying you know people coming from the comics to the TV series or Disney Plus series and and vice versa. Those that have connected with it on Disney Plus and and maybe want to pick up a few comics and, and those differences. So you know, th- again, like in the assemble, just the thought process around the production that mm. you know why they changed um, Stephen uh, and and why and how that became the point of reference character to begin with that was accessible because right. as you say, it's mm-hmm. very layered. Uh, very deep, you know, whether it's um, his DID, the Jewish heritage, the, the Egyptian mythology, let alone then the nuts and bolts of the story and, and his antagonists and allies and all this kind of stuff. So, like, I, I thought that was a really interesting take. And then also to hear Oscar Isaac talk about how he decided to put the English accent on, for example, and to make it maybe more comedic. Uh, so, I, again, it's just really, at least anyone coming to Moon Knight for the first time, it just eased them into yeah. a show. And and ultimately, Disney Plus is looking for that larger, wider audience, um, given their subscriber yeah. numbers <laughs> to, to Disney Plus, I guess. So yeah. they have to think about a wider sort of um, demographic of people that are going to, want to watch this and come back to it uh, and so on. Absolutely. And now we have Moon Knight established Mm. in the Marvel Cinematic (laughs) Universe, which is kind of cool. Kind of cool. Uh, As we've already started talking a little bit about the assembled uh, making of, uh, will we kick into our uh, our major points? Uh, Probably a good good time to do that now. Uh, If you haven't watched the documentary, as I said, it is on uh, on Disney Plus about just over an hour. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the things that we uh, we liked about uh, about the documentary, some of the things that that we found interesting that we pulled out of uh, of the production uh, side of things. But uh, but go see it. It's, it's a really enjoyable watch. Uh, kicking off, uh, just to call it out again, the executive producers for the show, uh, most present uh, in the documentary, we have uh, Kevin Feige, uh, Louis Desposito, really? <laughs> Victoria Alonso, Greg Curtis, Brad Winderbaum, uh, Oscar Isaac himself, uh, Mohamed Diab, and Jeremy Slater all involved in the uh, in the. Uh, production side uh, of the show we do have our points split out into our full moon point our half moon point and our total eclipse point our full moon point is coming up first full moon thank you again may clamway uh, for, for 
Yes, and and Jacob's Jeff again. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Uh, our full boot point. Right? Let's let's kick off with the costume. This is probably the most difficult thing to get right when you're pulling a character from the comic book into uh, into the live action world. And I thought it was really interesting that they focused quite a significant portion of the documentary on the creation of these two major costumes, uh, particularly uh, Mister Knight and uh, and Moon Knight, as they pretty much differentiate them. What did you think, Ray, of the translation from the comic book to the screen? Yeah, um, look, to be honest as well, initially, uh, again, coming from a comic book background, uh, it was mm-hmm. the first time I saw it, the first time that leak happened, which ended up being mm-hmm. the, actual, the actual costume. I was kind of like, well, this can't be the final iteration of the costume, right? This has got to be the prototype or it's something that Conchie gives to, to Mark, which later on he will disown and create his own costume. I'm sure we'll see mm-hmm. the, okay. the, the costume later on. Um it, that didn't eventuate, and and we got, as we know from the assembled uh, documentary as well, we got a a different interpretation of Moon Knight, uh, mm-hmm. more so the the mummified kind of look. And I, I, to be yeah. honest, I, I grew to like it. Actually, um, it, it's yeah. quite good. It's very distinct. It's very different. Uh, and oh my gosh, how detailed is it as well? Um, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The, the, the close-ups on it, where we see the uh, the hieroglyphics that are in the Moon Knight costume, I thought was really fascinating because that's something you're never going to see on screen. You're only going to see that when you're looking at the costume um, close up in in person or in a, in a back a behind the scenes kind of documentary like this, where the camera's focusing on these things. But the attention to detail that they had, I loved the fact that these costumes were also made to be practically worn on set, so they could be filmed properly and that they could be uh, added into the show without a huge amount yeah. of CGI, and they could be replaced with CGI as well. So they used them as a reference mm. point uh, when they needed to be CGI replaced, but they were so detailed and so interesting. So seeing somebody walk around in the costume, seeing Oscar Isaac walking around on set in the costume as much as he was was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the bandages, um, that kind of the the mummy element to it. I mean, it absolutely makes sense to mm. do that along with the hieroglyphics. Um, and they, they turned out um, whiter, uh, the costumes than that original leak. I remember seeing the, that original leak thing and it was really grey. Mm. And I know there's some um, images that have that kind of sort of hue to it, but um, that they turned out to be, um, you know, sort of lighter. And so I, I was pleased about that, just, you know, close, closer to that that moon white. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I really enjoyed that. I liked it as well. I think, you know, again, it's that transition from a comic book page where, you know, that, that look, depending on who's drawing it, you know, it's a style or it, it's a theme that they do for it. Um and then all of a sudden you're bringing it to live action. It's got to be one but It's got to be, people have got to move in it. Mm-hmm. It's got to be durable for, um, the, the stunt work being done with it. Yeah. So you suddenly see that, you know, there are different thoughts and, and reasons for why they go down a certain way. So yeah. I, and I love the textures that, you know, I think the, the lady who designed it mm-hmm. was saying how, you know, I think it was probably, was it Lemire or, or um, I mm-hmm. think I think it was that run. And just saying, just because it's like flat white, and yep. so they brought the texture onto it, mm. um, and just how they were printing that, I thought was really uh, just r- really mm-hmm. nicely done, and. I think, yeah, I just really enjoyed it's also very the style yeah. of it. It's also very different from anything we've seen in the MCU yeah. before. This is yeah. our first caped 
superhero, am I right? He's the first one that actually has a cape. Oh, uh, right? yeah, uh, yeah. In- Okay, yeah. I'm saying that because <laughs> Dr. Strange has a cloak, John. Yeah, no, I, it, no exactly, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Strange has a cloak. Yes. Um, yeah, this is definitely a cape. But, I, like, when you see some of the comic panels compared to the final version of it, and you're kind of going, you know, the, the way the comic the way the comic artist draw it is that cape could be about two miles long. Mm, <laughs> or yeah. it can be a very short cape. You have to practically design that, that it can be used in so many different ways. Like, that that awesome shot in the show, which was in the original trailer of uh, of Moon Knight jumping off the building and mm-hmm. throwing out the, the cape into the crescent moon shape. Like, mm-hmm. something like that coming to life on the screen, I thought, was really, really well done yeah i i loved the cape design mm. to do the moon up you know silhouetted against the moon i thought yeah. classic and um you know just that 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 shape is so unique for a cape and yeah. um, it, it 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 doesn't look like a bat for example <laughs> um, but uh, I, I had to get it in <laughs> um, and but you know it it it's equally iconic at least mm-hmm. for for myself because of the the character so um, I really like that. I love the other side of it as well because I think when we were discussing the episodes to begin with, we were talking about, you know, well, is it magic? Is it whatever, you know, spiritual because of the Egyptian mythology uh, in terms of his powers and certainly mm-hmm. when he's connected with Khonshu? And, of course, it, it's supernatural in that sense or that's I think that's where we settled on that's in the end. end. Yep. And so I loved as well that, how they said they wanted it just form close to his body, not like it it came from you know hundred miles away and sort of wrapped around him, but then mm-hmm. how it kind of enveloped him from close by mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was really cool and uh, and just the way as well with the marrying of the c g i suit that they would have to do with mm. the real practical one so that they could get the shadow and the mm. light yeah. and how that um sort of sort of went across the costume, um, you know, or outfit, I guess. Yeah, I think that was a really important point that they raised in that assembled about how they actually went the full, like the full nine yards to design this thing and and mock it up and make it a a physical thing to make the CGI guys' job, I guess, a lot easier. Um, Because at the end of the day, what we got is uh, really, I think, a seamless uh, transition between both, whereas mm-hmm. yeah. you know you could you could have gone uh, it could have gone down a, a worse route where uh, where the CGI just looked really bad for for Moon Knight. Yeah. But I would yeah. say like for Moon Knight the character uh, as well because uh, with the show early on I thought some of the CGI CGI was a bit dodgy, but the character mm-hmm. himself was fantastic, and I think that's got yeah. to be testament to the hard work they put into the detailing into the costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, just the other thing, uh, another quick point about the costumes that I wanted to uh, raise. I mean, John, you alluded to it earlier as well about um, creators putting their own um, uh, stamp on things. And I think mm-hmm. the costume was a great opportunity for people like for Muhammad Diab and for the costume designers to actually just kind of flex their muscles and show what they yeah. can do. So we got fantastic, like the hieroglyphs, uh, we got them, although you don't, you won't pick it up while you watch it. It's there mm-hmm. and it's just yeah. in detail. And I like the fact that they had that Egyptian consultant, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, consult about the hieroglyphs. And uh, he said something in the, in the documentary. There was no yeah. straightforward translation to Fist of Conchu or Avatar of Vengeance. For, I can't, it, it, it for the was, word night. Uh, night. Oh, night. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There was no, there's no word night. That's right. Uh, as in K N I. 
GHT. Yeah. I presume they had knights back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not knights of their end table. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they yeah. ended up using Soldier. I think he used Soldier or something. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, I found that was just fascinating. That was great. Yeah. But uh, also with the Mr. Knight costume, you get the um, the buttons all with the Conchu symbol. Mm-hmm. Just all those yeah. little things you really appreciate. And, and the uh, the textures on, on all the, the vest and the coat. I mean, mm-hmm. this all just adds up and it just shows the... I don't know. I, I feed off this kind of passion and this enthusiasm. And if you see it come across in the show, then you kind of you kind of jump on board as well. And, and that's what yeah, I really yeah, did like about the costumes. Absolutely. I know. I don't know. You know, every time a new run comes out or a new artist comes onto the the comic books, you get their take on the costumes as well. And mm-hmm. what was really evident here was how collaborative the whole process was, mm. because you saw, uh, as Oscar Isaac was saying, everybody put their spoke in, everybody got involved, everybody came up with an idea, and you saw various different versions of that Moon Knight costume um, on screen, loads of different concept designs, which is always really interesting to pour through and see what somebody's concept was for that, yeah. uh, for that Moon Knight design. Let's quickly talk about Mr. Knight, because there was two interesting things out of the documentary uh, that I that I thought were uh, were fascinating uh firstly and this might i don't know whether this will rankle some moon knight fans because i know stephen grant as mr knight as a very distinct character versus uh mark specter as moon knight has been something that has been contentious a little bit because that's not how it works really in the comic books but interestingly oscar isaac saying that mark specter was originally mr knight um in the original designs when, when the whole concept was written that was the suit that he was going to be coming out with is the Mr. Knight suit. And as they went along, Stephen, um, Stephen Grant being a British character, this concept of him coming up with this three piece suit made so much more sense. And as they talked about it for this show, that concept made sense. What do you guys think of that idea that, that it could have been Mark Spector, Mr. Knight versus, as opposed to Stephen Grant, Mr. Knight? Yeah, I, I couldn't see it any other way, really. I mean, I, mm. I, I heard what Oscar Isaac said and stuff. It just sounded really weird. I couldn't imagine yeah. Mark Spector being Mr. Knight. And unless the script was different and Mr. Mm-hmm. Knight had more of a, a, say, more of the Warren Ellis bent, uh, I, I don't know. I just couldn't see it. And it just, it seemed to fall one of those things that fell into place. Like the whole yeah. fact that Stephen Grant is, is now British and mm-hmm. you've got that almost, uh, yeah, that kind of dapper or his idea of what is really, what a suit should be. Um, exactly. Yeah. So it, <laughs> yeah. that seems a lot more logical, uh, and rational mm-hmm. than the other way around. So I'm glad that they, they didn't go around the other way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's no, on, too. I know Oscar was Oscar Isaac was saying that it was a four year process, the whole the whole period from when he signed on board to the scripts being fully written and everything coming into the production. So it does feel like yeah. everything from him getting the the British accent wasn't in the script; that was all coming from the collaborative process that was in there. So it it totally makes sense in the show why we have Mr. Knight as Stephen Grant, or Stephen Grant as Mr. Knight, whichever way you want to say it. Um, but uh, it totally makes sense in the show the way it is finally, but it would it would have been interesting to see how they would have handled, because mm. I, I, I guess the framing of Mr. Knight in the comic books, he is a, a more serious detective type of character, so you can kind of see how you would go down that path with a different version of Mark Spector even. Um, but it, I think the script would have been very different if you had, if you had done it that way. Yeah, I don't see how Stephen would kind of then get the um, get the caped, the hooded, you know, uh, uh, what is it, the the um, uh, traditional vestments um, for yeah. you know the the fist of Conchu. I don't see how that fits, but it, it, that's an interesting idea, and it's a great uh, yeah. great insight into the um, evolution of what happened. Right. It feels yeah. almost like if Stephen Grant was wearing it, that would be the costume possessing 
Stephen mm. Grant and turning him into a superhero, maybe. I that guess it's yeah. going through those permutations, isn't mm. it? The iterations of of developing it from the, the you know the the wealth of of comics yeah. around this character to the ideas that all these different people involved um have on it, I guess. Yeah. And it's like um, so it's even just around the writing that you know Oscar Isaac sort of making Stephen Grant English. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, what, to what extent was there some, you know, more writing? Because he, he uses a lot of colloquialisms yeah. and, and, and phrases that may not have even been in the script, mm-hmm. uh, to, to begin with. That is case. Yeah. yeah. Did, didn't um, Oscar also say as well in the documentary that he was mucking around with that idea and his, his son or something said, that's really funny. And like, and yeah. Yeah. He kind of, that's how, that's kind of what birthed it. I think that's exactly. hilarious. So yeah, I mean, right. it's weird to think what the script was like before that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a, he was saying, yeah, he was, he was playing around with the accent around his house for a few weeks and his son was loving it. So he's like, <laughs> okay, well, actually we can make this character a bit funnier. Maybe people can, uh, can pick up on the comedy of the character, which is, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, anything else on the costumes, guys? Anything else on the, on the two major costumes for um, Moon Knight? The only thing I kind of wanted to just add was mm. probably that, you know, given, you know, with Disney Plus, we don't know whether there will be a, a second season. Um, but you know, given they've this time, effort, quality that they've put into the costumes, mm. that you know, if he if Moon Knight does appear in the wider MCU, mm. then you know it's there to go, and I, I guess that's part of it. I mean, it's even like with say Wonder Vision, where we got to see the Scarlet Witch at the end of that mm-hmm. uh, series, and that was used directly in Multiverse of Madness. So yeah. I mean, I guess as well, they're also even though this is for you know in in quotes TV, mm-hmm. um, it's also thinking about the wider. MCU ecosystem that they need to feed in yeah. to um in, in movies if if that's where it's going um depending on what happens in the future mm. I guess we have to pray to Konshu I think we might mm. uh, yeah I think I can't see why they wouldn't to be honest yeah. but anyway that's, oh no that's absolutely not it, I think yeah. people are banging on the door of the MCU saying we need <laughs> yeah. more Moon Knight um especially the performance of Oscar Isaac I mean and, and everyone else I mean I don't want to um yeah. forget everyone else too uh, but just with the costumes I think again I think it was mentioned in the documentary in these in assembled. It's such a unique thing now. We have a, a, a superhero with two costumes, mm-hmm. and how distracting would it be if you were up against this this superhero? And he's just—we saw it in in episode six, him just changing yeah. between one and the other. Uh, it, it plays, you know, the possibilities of the dynamics that you could use to um, uh, yeah. how you could play with it. I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Is it, just yeah. Is that there's a lot of potential there, so it's very exciting, and, and it's it's great that they did introduce the two costumes. I mean, they could e- easily have just done the the co- the caped costume, uh, mm-hmm. that's a more traditional one, uh, and I don't think people would have mind if they didn't see Mister Knight. It would have been something like, oh, maybe that will come in later. But I'm glad mm-hmm. that they introduced them straight away. And yeah. again, I'm starting to grow on this thing that Mister Knight is attributed to Stephen. And Moon Knight is attributed to Mark. It's uh, yeah, it, it's fun. And uh, now the the question is, what does Jake have? So <laughs> absolutely, and and that's I, it, that is a point I was making that I thought was really interesting because we only really see Jake Lockley in that post credit scene. It's the only time we see him, and we never see him in his version of the costume 
whether it be Mr. Knight or whether it be Moon Knight, that does leave them open to if we do see Mark Spector or Stephen Grant or, or Jake Lockley in the future in the MCU, that they have an option of designing another costume that may fit with whatever type of film mm. he appears in and whatever type of series they appear, he appears in. They have another option to design a third costume. It's it's open there and it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody who's seen this show, which I think is a yeah. really interesting way to leave it. He and didn't. he he could be in the moon copter, given the amount of damage he can do. So. And like <laughs> you know, he swoops down in kind of like an Apache type moon copter <laughs> with Exocet missiles. Yeah. Given the you know the damage he uh-huh. he did there in that that final battle mm-hmm. with um uh with Arthur Harrow, yeah. then it's yeah, that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> Will we ever see the moon copter in the MCU? Oh, I think it's, we can only hope. <laughs> Was there a moon tank or something? I don't know. Probably not. I want to say that rope ladder dangle. That's all. Uh-huh. I just want to see it come down. <laughs> there you go. That's all, that's all you need. Um, only other thing on the costumes I just want to mention, because we, we will talk about, you know, obviously more of, of the documentary. But I, I did love that we had um, that we had Konshu and Tarras, uh represented on uh, on st- on the sound stages with a costume that could mm-hmm. be filmed. We, we mentioned that they did that for uh, Moon Knight's costumes, but also for those CGI characters yeah. that were on screen that it felt like they were present all the time. That's something really new. You normally would film a place with uh, the actors in those roles, having the having the discussions back and forth with the main actor, and then you take them out and just CGI replace them. But the fact that they've used this new technology to have those actors on the soundstage at the same time acting together, I think that really uh, – well, I, I think we were very complimentary about the acting overall in the show for everybody that's involved, and I think that can only help when you have uh, – when you don't have Oscar Isaac – just talking to a wall or Arthur Harrow talking to a wall. They're actually talking to the actors. Exactly. And that's it, isn't it? It's that next layer, Mm. isn't it? You know, with the prequels to Star Wars, it was green screen. They had no one to bounce off. With Andy Serkis, the evolution was that he was there. They had, Mm -hmm. he was playing the character. He was just in a motion cap suit. And now it seems that they can reduce the amount of motion capture dots that are required and put them in costume as long as they I did like the the huge tennis ball to, <laughs> yeah. at least for for Conchu because he's so tall uh-huh. uh, above the head of the actor that was playing him so uh, again it's just that evolution isn't it mm-hmm. of how you you do motion capture and and the and the CGI characters when you yeah. have to put them in so yeah, absolutely yeah. i think that's it on our uh, on our first full moon point uh, nothing more about the costumes. We may talk a little bit more about them in a minute, though. But let's move on. Half moon. Our half moon point. Our second point. Uh, let's talk about some of the uh, the bits that came out about the writing process. We mentioned it a little bit, um, but some really interesting points brought in. I, I really want to hear your opinion about this, uh, Ray, because knowing this character, and you pretty much read every comic book, and you've pretty much covered every comic book on our, our run on on the the Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. What, what did you think of the take from Grant Curtis, who was one of the lead producers, where he's saying we have the, this 40 years of a run, but nothing really coherent to take out of it. So we kind of picked, picked and chose what we wanted, picked and chose what we wanted out of this run. What, what, what do, how do you feel this is uh, this comes across when people are looking at your one of your favorite characters and going, we just kind of threw it out and decided what we wanted to take out of it. What did, what did you think of their uh, way of it, way of looking at it? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty bold uh, decision as well. But I think it goes back mm-hmm. to the fact that, um, as John said um, you know, earlier, the, the character is like the volumes, the, the, the lore, 
and the character itself is quite laid and, and deep. So uh, there are more. There are other characters in the M- MU in the Marvel universe that would be more amenable to translate uh, onto live screen, and I believe they're the ones that you know we as comic book fans see. And there, there is a closer connection between the comic book version, and they rarely get any um, any flack because yeah. um, because they they've been translated quite well. But that's because I think they they come across they they're easily translatable. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I think Midnight is is such a difficult thing. I mean. I, I applaud the boldness of actually just saying, okay, let's not focus on a particular run because mm-hmm. I don't believe Grant saying that the runs are bad or anything. I, I just believe mm-hmm. that it's just too vast and probably a bit overwhelming to try and, um, yeah, try and pick one and then not, mm-hmm. not address the other. Uh, so I think they, they did a pretty smart thing and 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 try to include everything. Look, it's not going to include all the runs as well. And and um, there's a, a large component of Moon Knight fans out there that do like the modern Moon Knight, which started around the 2006 era with Houston. Uh, so there was a little, they were a little lacking in that regard. Uh, mm-hmm. But you do get enough modern, like i.e. the Lemire run, with the classic again, as I mentioned, the Volume One, Volume Two. Uh, of the Moon Knights back in the eighties, so mm-hmm. they did they did pick oh and, and sorry of course the the Ellison Shelby run two thousand fourteen mm-hmm. so there is a nice little broad kind of ca- um, net that they cast over the um, you know uh, the years of Moon Knight uh, in comics mm-hmm. uh, so no I wasn't I wasn't too deterred by what he said I, I just thought it was a a sensible choice uh, and. Mm-hmm. As a yeah. fan, that's what I would have loved to have seen, actually. I would have loved to have gotten references of the 2014 run, you know, of the mm-hmm. 2017 run, of the 1980 run. Uh, that kind of is quite fulfilling. I think more fulfilling than actually just having a direct copy of, say, the 2006 or the 2011 run. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I, I thought the same. I mean, even in the comics, you know, the character has developed. They've evolved him. Um, like, and they had quite a nice piece, I think, overall in the assembled documentary about that saying, you know, first comic effectively an antagonist that is going after werewolves and talking, you know, increasingly as these different personalities that they had and then, you know, bringing that to DID as well and that evolution and adding the complexity to these different elements. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think, you know, that happens in, as you say, that you, even if it's just from an editorial point where we talk about, you know, the, 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 the silver age of comics and the, the, the stories were generally much simpler and mm-hmm. uh, different things, uh, new Punch characters coming in, kind of new dynamics that form between uh-huh. characters or from the characters. So I, I think it makes sense that you would effectively look through and see which points to to do and they can only do so much as well because of of the the six episode run although you know that is a wealth in comparison to maybe a a two-hour movie you know Mm -hmm. they have a lot more time to go into the character so i i I think they did that really well i mean i think for me i thought the the writing in this series just was phenomenally good i just thought that because there's so much to bring across Mm. and there's so much to explain with moon knight and then you have all the the egyptian Mm. mythology side of it you have 
all the characterization that you're doing uh, between um, the other characters and ultimately within Moon Knight. So you've almost got this other layer because of the DID where you yeah. have the different identities and yeah. that relationship between uh, them. So like, yeah. I thought they really nailed sort of the detail and just, I guess, the efficiency of how they did it as well yeah. with uh, different props and set design as well as mm -hmm. much as anything and and it probably alludes to why they did have mr knight and moon knight separated into those two characters as well just to it may have even just been to simplify mm -hmm. because there was so much other complexity going on yeah. that they had to deal with and had to put across to to new audiences mm -hmm. um, you know and, and you did kind of mention it there a little bit but um but I do like that they're very clear about the fact that DID is being represented here, but is they, they are very clear that this is being represented in an entertainment medium as well as they possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not saying this is the only explanation for it. They're not saying it's even a, a, a highly accurate uh, interpretation of DID, but it is important in the show to show it in, a, in the right light that we can understand what these characters are going through. And, you know, again... Oscar Isaac hitting the point that's in the show. Uh, he he mentions that this can be a superpower that our own minds create to deal with a massively difficult problem, creating other identities to help in a really stressful situation, really stressful environment when we're young kids. You know, it, it comes across that everybody involved in the show has um, has a real concept of what it is they're trying to get across and, and a real sensitivity of how it has been done badly in the past and not to replicate that again. I thought that was really a fascinating uh, discussion that they were having about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Oscar Isaac, is, it showed that he did his homework as well, just the way he was talking about DID as well. Um, even reading that book as well, that opened his eyes into it. But just talking about uh, mm -hmm. alters and uh, all the stuff that I've learned from uh, one of our loonies, Lena, uh, who's part mm -hmm. of a DID system, fantastic yeah. uh, in learning more about DID. But Oscar just talking about uh, stuff like early trauma and like repeated childhood trauma being this yeah. is the reason. Uh, and it just added so much weight to... You could see that he took that on board as, I guess, mm. the core of what he wanted to try and represent and, and how yeah. he grew Stephen and Mark and how they kind of eventually evolved into the show. So mm. uh, very much so there was – and it must have been brought across by Muhammad as well, uh, you know, with him wanting to get things really – portrayed accurately as well. He mm -hmm. mentions that that with, um, say, Egypt, uh, just the, how that's been portrayed in Hollywood. But, you know, with DID as well, we see in the credits that they, they have a consultant um, for both mm -hmm. of those things yeah. and a Jewish yeah. consultant as well. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was. I think it was really uh, amazing what they managed to fit in. And I think it was quite evident with the writing. Again, like, there's so much you can talk about and write about Moon Knight, but... I found, and, and I think you guys discussed it in your reviews of the episodes as well, more so mm -hmm. I found from episode four to six that it was like, my gosh, they pack so much in this. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. they're, and yeah. like, bang, bang, bang. And pros and cons, like, they're, things like in episode six may have fallen to the wayside. You may have had a preference, mm -hmm. like, for instance, myself with the Ennead, it would have been, I would have loved to have seen a bit more of that, but time mm -hmm. constraints and just the sheer volume of stuff that they wanted to pack in. And, and again, yeah. this is just touching 
dare I say, touching the surface of what you can talk about and, and write about with Moon Knight. There's so much mm, involved. Yeah. John, you're talking about the, the horror element, the supernatural werewolf horror elements, you know? Yeah. There's the detective noir Mr. Knight element. They haven't even touched that yet, um, but yeah. they've gone on and talked about the Ennead, the ID. Um, also, we have a bit on uh, the Jewish background of Mark, which mm. could be explored more. So I think they did an amazing job to pack so much in with with so little time and actually have it uh, uh, successfully done. I mean, it could easily yeah. have been like, oh, gosh, that was really quick. Yeah. Absolutely. It didn't feel like just a throw-off yeah. um, just to sort of touch base with it. Um, mm. it, it. I think in the majority of cases, yeah, you know, I, I think I, it, it felt like they – they gave it as much mm. time as they could, yep. given the constraints of time, and they made that small touch points or larger touch points as as sort of informative and as deep and as meaningful and as accurate as they as they could yeah. do. And I, yeah. I thought that it was just, I think, really, really good. And I, yeah. I mean, I mean, like we've just come off as well doing Picard season two, which mm. you know. At the, unfortunately, you know, we're giving it a lot of, um, flack around the fact that it was hit by COVID and so on and so forth. And, um, but the writing in that just didn't or wasn't able, um, to deal with what happened on, on, on that production. Whereas, mm. You know, and it, it, it really was in stark contrast because we were podcasting about them at the same time that mm-hmm. you just thought this, uh, in terms of Moon Knight was just being done in, in, in such a strong, yep. um, efficient, um, and meaningful way, I mm. thought. And you mentioned time constraints, but I did think it was quite interesting that, uh, Moorhead and Benson, the other directors on the show, mentioned that they were really dealing with this as three movies. And you, you hear that yeah. as well from Ethan Hawke. This was dealt with as three movies. And when you think of it in that respect, I, I thought it was fascinating because, um, Benson specifically calls out, if you think of those first two episodes as one movie, the story that you're watching is Stephen Grant, Grant on this mystery tour, trying to find out what is going on in his yeah. mind, what's going on in his life. And then at the end of it, the closing credit scene of your two hour movie is Moon Knight's introduced. Like that's a fascinating way of looking at the story because most people wouldn't think like that. You've called the show Moon Knight. Why isn't Moon Knight in the show? You know, yeah. uh, is, is it was a complaint that was there from, from people, but I like that that's, the, the way they approach it. Here's our two epi- our two episode movie telling the story of Stephen Grant, how he finds out and how he relinquishes the power over to, uh, to Mark Spector Moon Knight. Um, that, that's a really interesting story. So, uh, and a, a great comment from Ethan Hawke. You know, he's made loads of movies over his career. He's a fascinating actor. He's done loads and loads of things, but he's going, I don't know how it's possible to make three great films in a row about the same subject. I've never been able to do that. Uh, <laughs> is, is what he's saying himself. And that's what they're setting themselves up almost to fail within Marvel when they're doing these shows with this amount of budget over these six weeks. And he believes in, I, I believe it's absolutely a, a success here with Midnight. There's nothing really that I could say fell over for me in this show. I think overall as a, yeah. as a, as a story, they did a great job. I, I did like, um, like I, I love Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. Um, I think going back to Gattaca, mm-hmm. um, I just, that movie was so good. So I've always kind of, been excited to see what he does mm. but I, I do like the way how they all seem to know one another and it's like <laughs> oh um, yes it was like 
you know, I, I'd seen, I think Oscar says I'd seen Ethan around in the neighborhood. Um, mm. and so, you know, I, I jumped him at coffee or something in a coffee house. And yeah. I was just like, well, that's handy, isn't it? Yeah. But I mean, it's just it well, even, like, even Ethan really? Hawke saying that, he, that he'd seen Muhammad Diab's movie <laughs> and they were about to set up to make a movie. Exactly. And then Diab was pulled off by Marvel and he kind of goes, do you want to come and join me? On this project? <laughs> yeah, so maybe there were a few avatars sort of moving them into <laughs> position, maybe. you know, just to make sure that they, they got it uh, all <laughs> lined up and all the ducks in a row. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one one final bit for me for the writing process that I thought was really, really interesting. You know, we, as comic book readers, we were always kind of interested to see whether some of the side characters from the comic books would come in, like Marlene, who's quite a major side character in the comic books. And in the show, we have Layla, played by Mae Kalamaway. What I thought was really interesting in the writing process and what really came out in the documentary is how much the character changed by bringing in this actor, who could have easily just been the Marlene character from the comic books who has connections. She has an interesting ish storyline, but I think they've created a much more interesting character here in Layla specifically created for the show and created around the actress, Mae Kalamaway. Yeah. Um, some great moments with them. I loved the idea where they, where they talked about her becoming uh, the avatar of Tuaret and they came to her in her, uh, in her dressing room <laughs> when she was getting ready to go on set and went, could you just go out there and uh, pretend to do the same movements as the actress who's playing Tuaret, uh, because you're going to be her avatar and, uh, you need to learn how to do it right now. And they do this big collaborative process to do it. It seems like something that's done on the cuff to suit the production and to make the show even better. And I think it was a total success. I could absolutely see this character of the Scarlet Scarab on her own in a movie uh, or f feeding into another uh, MCU movie in the future. You could see her going off uh, as a completely separate character from this show, which yeah. I think is great to see. And the costume for oh, her the costume was brilliant. awesome. Oh, so, yeah. I, you, yeah. When she first came out, uh, you know, with that rock, um, you know, pushed it over and then she showed her wings uh, mm -hmm. the best shot i think just the lighting her the look on her face the costume design it was it was perfect um i, I think oh, look, i don't know if this is how they do things you know in the industry and in, in film mm. and stuff but i tended to think that that instance derek what you're saying about may kalmoe and and her and them coming to her was i guess it maybe summed up this production because mm. it seemed like everyone was creative and they kind of bounced off each other and there was almost like a, a nervousness to it and excitement and, you know, being yeah. asked to do this thing half an hour before they're actually going to do it. I mean, gosh, yeah. I think as an actor, you'd be scared as hell, but you'd probably yeah. be excited by the fact of, you know, sure. okay, let's, let's do this. Uh, and, and it's something that you'd really remember. I don't know whether movies do it or not, but to me, you know, that spelled out this Moon Knight production. I mean, mm. I don't want to, yeah. well, I am going to <laughs> a slightly name drop. Uh, so we managed to, we, we got contacted by someone on the production uh, of the mm. Moon Knight set and, and they said they were just telling me just some great thing, exactly the, the same sort of, sort of things. This kind of real uh, enthusiastic energy and vibe that they had throughout the whole production. Um, yeah. it was a, a lot of hard work, a lot of deadlines, but mm -hmm. it was, they just fed off each other and it seemed like everyone enjoyed it. I mean, Oscar himself said in that documentary mm -hmm. and he said, I'm not throwing any shade on these sorts of movies, but I never would have thought that in this movie, I would have been able to flex my creative muscles as much or ever yeah. in my acting yeah. career. So Amazing. everyone yeah. seems to just love it. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Because, you know, before the show was coming out, and I know you guys have, uh, have and, and Ethan Hawke himself has corrected this comment that was taken out of context where he talked about the fact that he felt that 
these type of big blockbuster movies were starting to have a big impact on uh, on the industry. Um, so it's fascinating to see how much work he did in the show, how much how much input he had in the show, mm-hmm. how much input Oscar Isaac had in the show, and I think for Michael Amaway, the third major actor on the show getting this moment to become this superhero to get her origin story told on screen to get these really interesting yeah. things uh, on there means that she must have felt as as collaborate collaborated with as a new actor you know she's done some productions before but mm. as a much newer actor than Oscar Isaac and, and Ethan Hawke she must feel like she is as part of that collaborative process as everybody else it feels like a, a really interesting production there is one other scene that I absolutely loved in the show, and I loved seeing the behind the scenes of it. The scene where she's sitting opposite uh, Arthur Howard, where she's sitting opposite Ethan Hawke on yes. two sides of a set, yeah. which is way bigger built than oh. it needs to be, especially if you're using CGI. You yeah, can just, yeah. you know, make them look further apart. But it really felt like a play. It felt like the two of them were on stage, one side to the other side, making this this grand conversation between the two of them, both of them learning about each other, her learning about her past. Um it was a fascinating scene in the show. It was a really, really good scene in the show. And seeing what it, what went in behind it to make it the best possible scene it could be yeah, was definitely. really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think the, the, the other element of that for me is, and it's something you mentioned, Ray, you know, about Oscar Isaac, just what he got out of it in, in terms of, I guess, the collaboration with other mm-hmm. people, but also for his own you know, as an actor in a profession doing that and doing the, um, doing Mark, doing Stephen and ultimately at the end doing Jake Lockley as well. But like, I really, I mean, we talked about his changes, um, in, mm. in the podcast, uh, as, as we covered each episode. And I thought that was really, really great seeing that, you know, he started off where he was just doing Stephen Grant scenes mm. and then you know coming back to that same scene and just doing the the mark specter sort of separating them by the by a day or a week or whatever it was two months and, to begin with wasn't it and Ooh. then yeah. because of the the muscle memory because of just the technicality of having to do the different eyes the different voice the different sort of stance mm. and, and all that but it got to a point where you know they could do it in shot or he could do it in shot and i just thought that was fantastic because there were so many times where he was saying you know is this a cutaway where it's you know happened on another day or is this him doing that sort of seamless flow of moving from one to the other and to hear that he actually did that Mm -hmm. as the the filming progressed as he you know effectively was becoming comfortable of transitioning between one and the other mm. i thought that was just yeah. great because i mean to the writing you've got to have that kind of dynamic and that mm. adds to the difficulty the technical difficulty for the actor but also the production in how you have to set up the, those scenes so I, I thought that was really cool that we we got that insight and yeah. um, from from the documentary as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, even Oscar Isaac saying that it's not exactly method, but he walked around yeah. just with the yeah. Stephen Stephen Grant accent, just to 
kind of reinforce it. I guess, as you said, John, muscle memory, try to really get into it. And then it relaxed after a while because he, he knew how to, he was, he was chopping and changing in, in open scenes. So yeah, a testament to the writing and testament to absolutely the Oscar Isaac's uh, acting talent. Yeah. yeah. It makes me slightly worried about whether we'll get him back in a movie because oh. him getting into that position after, as he said, two months to begin with just doing Stephen Grant scenes and then eventually getting that muscle uh, going after a while in the production. I'm kind of suddenly going, if he has 20 minutes on set of a next major Marvel movie, is he going to be able to do that character the way as, as well as he's been able to do it in the Moon Knight show? Is he going to be able to switch back and forth like that? Or is it going to be slightly lesser because the production is smaller uh, or shorter, I suppose, for uh, for the movie? But he's an amazing actor. I'm certainly not going to say that he can't do it. <laughs> Never say Oscar Isaac can't do something. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I mean, you know, that's happened previously mm. as well, sort of with the Avengers and Endgame and, and all that kind of stuff were, you know, um, so the Russo brothers having to sort of take the other properties that have been mm. developed by other people. So I, I guess as long as they've got someone that can do that well as yep. well. When uh, they get round to Secret Wars, uh, Moon Knight and Secret Wars. <laughs> that'd, be that'd, be awesome. that'd be awesome. That'd be good. That'd be awesome. Uh, anything else on the writing process? Anything else on, on that point at all? Uh, no, not from me. Um, good stuff. I just think, sorry, Derek, just uh, off the back of what you were saying about uh, May's uh, portrayal and, and Marlene as well, uh, mm. I, I think it was great how she did add this thing. She brought another, um, I guess, facet to the character in the sense that she talked about uh, bringing out an important in, important in showing the the emotional, the vulnerable side of, of, um, of Layla, which we certainly mm. see. And again, I think that really did aid in making her character so compelling as well. I, I think yeah. it was um, so it's no surprise that. Uh, that May thought uh, episode four was her favorite because that was a great performance, uh, as you mentioned, when she's opposite Ethan, as she goes through so many emotions in it um, yeah, with Stephen yeah. and with Ethan as well. Yeah. Also, just finally, uh, Mohammed uh, Diab talks about representation, and I know some people may roll their eyes uh, at that, but I found it very, um, I don't know, just very heartwarming that he... he, yeah, he yeah gave it a great importance uh, for it and, and the fact that we got the Scarlet Scarab. Like we got we got a, a genuine surprise in the show. Like as comic book fans, you could you know, you're hoping to see things that you've seen in the comics, but what happens is that you're not surprised. You know, you get that satisfaction, oh cool, they've referenced that. But we actually got a surprise with the Scarlet Scarab. Like I never saw yeah. it coming. Um yeah. and it was yeah, it was fantastic. And yeah. and the the fact that it was uh representing a first like Egyptian superhero, uh, mm-hmm. I I got like goosebumps every well, every time actually I I'd still do every time I see uh, that moment where she's she's pushing, stopping the van and the, yeah. the little girl saying, are you a superhero? And she goes, yeah. It's like, yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. It <laughs> is. Fabulous. It's brilliant. Yeah, and really good. I mean, because the representation is really important. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, he, he kind of says, you know, I'd, he was almost, it's not that he was embarrassed saying it, but it was almost like saying the words overused. But it's almost, it it's representation, but it's also just accuracy for life, yeah. isn't it? it it's yeah. in the same way that they have, the the consultants are, are around Judaism and Jewish culture, Egyptology, and uh, with regards to DID, it's it is representation, but it is also about authenticity and accuracy of what is being um, put on screen. Absolutely. And 
as well as the representation, as I said earlier, you know, that was just such a good thing where he says we have our first Egyptian superhero, mm. you know, and it's an Egyptian superhero and it's a female Egyptian superhero. Yeah. And that is fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're, we've all had those moments in our life when we see someone like us on screen and it's, it's really important to all of us mm-hmm. to, to have those yeah. moments, you know, yeah. and the idea of, just young girls seeing someone that's powerful like them on screen is really important. But you can tell how important it was to make Alamoe herself saying, I'd never seen anybody who looked like me, who was like me and acted in even her- any heroic way in a movie before. So me being yeah. that person for somebody else is really important. So I love, I love that idea that we're getting this expanded universe. We've had, you know, 29 movies now. We've had, mm-hmm. this is the sixth uh, MCU series and tons and tons of other Marvel series. It's time to start spreading out that, uh, the, the love for all of the types of people in the world. So I love, I love that they were able to incorporate that in the show. But as you say, John, it would have been uh, completely inauthentic of the show to yeah. not have yeah. Make Alamoy being a powerful character in this show, exactly. regardless yeah. of whether it's just, it's not a, t- a box ticking exercise. It just makes logical sense for the show. Yeah, it, definitely. We may, I mean, the older, the older we get as well, the more jaded we may be. You know, we, <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've, you know, collected comics or, or what have you, watched TV shows like this when we were young. Like mm. we had those moments as well, but as the older yeah, yeah. you get, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, oh, he's like, you know, Here's another thing that's on the nose representation, but we forget, you know, we should be reminded that, as you say, Derek, there are younger audiences here that may, you know, latch onto that and okay. have a, a, a resounding impact on them, you know, the same way yeah. that we had that, that kind of feeling when we kind of identified with, say, Spider Man or, you know, when mm-hmm. we were younger or the Incredible Hulk somehow. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm always angry. Yeah. Right, <laughs> so. Well, I, yeah, I think when I went through my fat phase, I identified <laughs> Jab of the Hutt, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I loved eating toads just like that. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Uh, great discussion about the, the writing of the show. we got one final point to talk about. Total Eclipse. Mouthful of Jaffa Cake from, mm. uh, from Michael Amway uh, on Total Eclipse, our final point. And let's talk about the set design because, wow, the production of this show is unbelievable. We we said how much money was spent on this show. It's one of the most expensive shows that Marvel have done. And, and that tends to be where they've been with all of their shows. Some of the stuff they did on Hawkeye and some of the stuff they did on um, WandaVision and Loki where you could tell it was expensive. When you look at the set design on this show and the amount of detail that went into the production, it is fascinating. I pulled out just one line, which I didn't notice at the show, and it really frustrated me because it made so much sense. The idea that Stephen's apartment, which we see right at the opening of the show, is in the shape of a pyramid. (laughs) That was done by the production designer on purpose. They put it in an attic so that we as an audience who are poring over every detail would see it. I didn't see it. It really annoyed me. But but well done. Just just even from that little piece of production. But then you go the being inside the pyramids of Giza and seeing the size of the the canvas that they're working with on this production. And you can just say, why didn't they just put up, you know, a green screen and just paint it in a computer, you yeah. know, but the, the practical sets that they built, the, the design that's going on and the elements that again, like the costumes, you may not see the detail on screen, but it's there showing what they're showing the world that they're building. It's yeah, fascinating. Ab- absolutely. Um, like I think my favorite of all of that um was where they got the art students to yes, come in me too. for Alexander the Great's uh tomb. Mm. Just 
you know, that they painted them, had different people because it would have been different people painting these walls and mm. um, back in the day. And, and then obviously they come in and distress them. But it's, I, I thought it was just, that was just, that's exactly what you want to do. It just felt so collaborative, just made sense. Um, and I, I thought that was a fantastic part of the assembled and yeah. and i think the other part was just like some of the little details so when uh, i think it was the egyptologist who was talking about the ashaptis and that you know this idea of encasing the god in stone you know certainly not in egyptian um law and mythology but they took this shabti, the, the things that would guard the pharaohs in their tombs and, and be there as different representations of different gods and mm-hmm. use that, um, sort of for the, 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 the comic story or sort of for the, the, the story of locking away different gods mm-hmm. uh, and so on. Uh, I thought that was really, really good. Yeah. How something, nothing to do with it, but using um, you know, the Ushabti uh, for that purpose. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I thought that was a really cool little insight Very as well. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, I-, I like that point as well too, John. It was a nice little nifty thing that is quite memorable, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I love the fact that, uh, you know, we joked about it on our show as well, but like how they're encased in stone, but it's seemingly quite easy to release them. You've just got to break the thing. <laughs> um, but right. yep. it, it's a nice little compact idea that works on film as well. Like, you know, we have the whole wall of Ashabtis as well and mm-hmm. us speculating, oh my gosh, all these gods and deities, the, the endless possibilities of what if Layla breaks the wrong one, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely yeah. loved uh, that sort of detail. Um, and Alexander's tomb was just remarkable John. those yeah, students yeah. as you say the brilliance of getting individuals to give that authentic look because it's all coming from different people um yeah. but what what a great memory you yeah, know exactly. you as a student going oh my gosh i got to work on a marvel production like and yeah. this is being seen all over the world uh it's yeah so again it's i'm loving this a kind of environment that I guess the MCU are creating and what we hear in this production. It's just so, so fantastic. Uh, yeah. the, the apartment as well. Uh, uh, Derek, I, I didn't get the sarcophagus. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how Steven's bed is, is meant to be a sarcophagus, yeah. but towards the end of the, the season, I was kind of, Oh yeah, it's triangular. <laughs> it's kind of getting nice. there. Well um, <laughs> but I love that apartment, man. Give me that yeah. apartment in London any, any day. It's, uh, it'd be so it's cool. Probably about three grand a day. Or something. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> out, probably. Yeah. But, um, yeah. great set designs as well. And, and you can mm-hmm. tell as, as great as the CGI might, might be, you can tell the difference. So mm-hmm. it makes, a huge difference in that, uh, uh, you know, the Pyramid of Giza to have that huge set. I mean, they were towering. We saw it in the documentary as well. Uh, there was green screen, like, after about the third story, like, that high. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it was remarkable, the amount that they did. And can you just uh, just imagine the amount of work that has to go into it, uh, the, concept, the, sure. the, the sleepless nights that these poor production set designers have to do to get it right and all for our benefit and we do look at it and granted we kind of cast a peripheral view on it but we it's something that's not really focused on so i'm really glad that assembled gave them uh, the recognition that they need to that they need because it's um just great work definitely Um, because the other thing i liked about the the chamber in the pyramid um was how they had all the the gods in big form Mm -hmm. But they, they just 
brought them also down and built them into the step so that when they were shooting, there would be that representation of the different gods mm. that would mm-hmm. collect with their avatars there as well, because yeah. that would have been lost. So yeah. I thought that was kind of a, a pretty neat idea as well. Absolutely. It came from, as, as Diab said, it came from the fact that basically you just see the knees of every guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you need to bring it down uh, for, for everybody to have that visual reference. Uh, you're absolutely right. Some amazing sets, some amazing ideas in the design. But one thing not to forget as well about the set design, not only did they do those amazing big sets and, and some interesting touches with, with Mark's place and, and Stephen's, Stephen's house, um, they also created Egypt in Budapest mm, like yes it's yeah. it absolutely looks like the streets of Egypt it's there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that that's where they were and then of course we didn't film in Egypt they filmed in Budapest and it's such a great job so the set design even doing that and, and moving a an Egyptian square to a country that has nothing like Egypt was fantastic yeah well and the other side of it was when they were on location it was in Jordan so I did like Oscar Isaac's uh, point of <laughs> I'm back in the same desert uh, for the third time Yeah, yeah, from Star Wars Mm -hmm. um, and then with June Mm -hmm. and then now with Moon Knight. Uh, I can't remember the name of the desert, but it was in Jordan. So I thought that was really good. Absolutely. Great fun. Lots of sand, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it was... um, was, Get everywhere. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, all the sets, the uh, Tawarits... at the barge as well mm. was was really yeah. cool. They touched upon that too, um, yeah. and yeah, it, we're we're blessed also our little community to have uh, someone. I'll, I'll give a shout out to Olivia. Uh, she's similar to say Lena, who who really feeds us great information on DID. Olivia mm. is Egyptian, uh, and so she was kind of giving us like commentary as. She watched the show as well, and she absolutely loved it. She signed the That's the level of detail, authenticity, like the little things. Like there's a in episode six uh, where they have the big fight. There's a sign. I think it's like a. Oh, I could be wrong, but like a convenience store or something or a restaurant, mm-hmm. um, and and that's kind of prominent uh, in Egypt as well. Uh, yeah. The little the things like where Mark goes up to that uh, gentleman uh, in Egypt and he's pouring that drink. Like though mm-hmm. they're so common uh, in yeah. uh, in Egypt as well. Uh, and and yeah. also just to the fact, uh, if I go to say just the acting uh, in episode three, I think. You guys covered it as well. That those um the criminals, the thugs, um, mm-hmm. the way they did that dance with the the knives again, very authentic to to Egypt. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah. I loved again this level of detail and the set design's crazy. I mean, and there's even the guy like who plays Konshu, Kareem El Hakim, mm-hmm. and he uh, mentions as well how you know how authentic everything was as well for him. How it kind of brought back these memories of being in Egypt as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Again, full full credit to the set design crew as well, and it's something obviously very important uh, for Muhammad Diab to have uh, to have brought across. Absolutely, yeah, definitely, really, really interesting stuff. Uh, anything else on the uh, on the sets or anything else on the show that you want to talk about, guys? I certainly don't. No, I don't have anything else for set design. Okay, okay, it was just phenomenal. It was, yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to pull out from uh, from the show overall was just uh, just having Kevin Feige talk about Moon Knight. I'm sorry, but Moon Knight <laughs> is one of the minor characters in the co- in in comics. He's he's someone that's getting better now, and obviously, as we've as we've talked about. 
But having someone like Kevin Feige going, this is someone, this is a character I wanted to see on screen. This is someone that's that so rude, is... Derek. <laughs> but, but he's minor the... character. Well, uh, he, he's that's a much like bigger saying character. Doctor Strange is just a wizard, well, or a magician. Well, no, no he's not. He's a mercenary, not a minor. I know, I know. Um, but but having someone like Kevin Feige saying that this was someone that he was putting forward as a character that he wanted to see on screen because it's so, because the character is so different from things that they've brought forward, you know, that is the guy that Kevin Feige does. I don't it, it, when he says it and when he talks about it, it doesn't feel like he's being fed those lines by his PR team. It doesn't feel like he's being told who characters are um and and how to describe them on screen. It does feel like he has a genuine love for the Marvel comic. Uh, universe and what he really is about and what this whole phase four really has been about for me is introducing new things to the universe uh, whether that be having directors come in and put their stamp on things like having Sam Raimi's version of Doctor Strange yeah. that we just saw in the cinema or Mohamed Diab and his work on Moon Knight and everybody collaborating together on Moon Knight this feels like a whole new phase of introducing things that are brand new and may go, may go one way, may go another way, but it's about delivering something completely different than we've seen before. And, and hearing Feige specifically say that's one of his intents is bringing in characters like that that you may, you may not know from before. Yeah, let's face it, he's one of the biggest nerds there is, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. As, as, uh, as yeah. powerful. And that's coming from us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but, but. In all honesty and in sincerity as well, it's as you said, he's not being fed these lines. He knows his stuff. He knows yeah. uh, he's willing to actually go. Granted, uh, he's he's got so much success uh, so far, so he's got a little bit more leverage to do stuff like that. But um, he, yeah, he's willing to 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 flesh things out like these minor characters and to see how they fit into the MCU. Uh, it's it's just really well thought out. And, and I think, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious in saying that Feige is, uh, you know, one of the reasons why the MCU is, is as it is it, it, and it's such a success. Um, but you need yeah. that nerdism from him. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Let's yeah. hope he's grooming his successor now. Yes. Because uh, the NCU isn't ending anytime soon. So uh, yeah. let's hope he's so, got so. somebody coming up behind him that's uh, got the same knowledge. <laughs> okay, final thing on the Assemble then. Anything missing that we think they could have talked about at the Assembled that they uh, that they didn't focus on? I was giving this some thought as well. After I watched Assembled, I think I, I commented uh, on... Uh, TV podcast industries, uh, the Facebook page. I just said I, I really enjoyed it. It, would, it. it ticked all the boxes for me. Uh, mm-hmm. But thinking about it a bit more, I mean, of course, there's so much that they could have, uh, you know, highlighted. I think one of the things that I would have loved to have seen would be maybe more of an insight into uh, fight choreography. Well, we see a lot of it on like YouTube. Um, and we saw Oscar Isaac's, you know, um, fight rehearsal scene. Uh, more recently, May Kalamawe's, um, you know, exercise regime and her kind of, uh, obstacle course to do her kind of action sequences. That's been released. Uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I would have, yeah, would like to have gone into, say, maybe the, the fight scene, the choreo- choreography of episode three, you know, mm-hmm. where he's, yeah. um, with Anton Mogart and there are the spears and there's a lot of action there and as yeah. well as the the final uh, episode episode six because when you see Mr. S- Mr. Knight in full flight and Moon Knight mm-hmm. uh, I was just it was awesome to see so I would have loved to send a bit of that absolutely I did like the comment from the stunt coordinator that that he did enjoy working with uh, the Stephen Grant character because mm. Stephen Grant has no idea how to fight yeah. so you yes. have to 
have the ability because everybody has that survival uh, survival uh, ideas. So uh, at least you could put that on on Stephen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean there was a little bit, but I think yeah, just yeah. given how the the fighting went, mm-hmm. um, for sure uh, that would have been good. I think as well, um, you know, there was nothing as such on the music mm-hmm. either. Um, now I I know some have like Wonder Vision had a big thing on on the music Absolutely. because of the difference uh, in styles between each of the episodes and they um, could, and because they had a, a number one charting song in Agatha all along. So. Uh, but, <laughs> so, yeah. but then <laughs> they knew what they had. But I think sometimes the music hasn't always been brought out on these mm. assembled anyway for some of the other shows. Um, uh, and I I thought yeah it would have been good to have gotten. You know something on on the music. Yeah, absolutely. On, on that point, we actually got a bit of feedback in from uh, Matt Murdock over on over on Twitter uh, at Musical Concepts. He was saying the same thing. He was saying uh, that this was decent, but I wish they would spend a little bit of time in these in these shows covering the scoring and music supervision. I realize with the pandemic filming, uh, this some of this is put together during production, but uh, sometimes before the co- composers are actually even named. But still, I'd love to see something about the music, especially given the attention paid in the documentary, emphasizing the re- and respecting um, the Arab culture and specifically Egyptian culture. Maybe Hisham Nazi just wasn't available for it, but I think they should have made some effort uh, on the show. Um, I think it's one of those things where, in in a lot of cases, mm. the, the composers or music supervisors, in many respects, are not on the set because yes. they're in mm-hmm. the recording studio doing the score yeah. and, and so on and but it feels like an end-of-day interview with them would be really reason, reasonably yeah, easy yeah, exactly how exactly. did you come up with the concept for the score and you know something that was definitely coming out throughout the show i know even watching the first episode for the fourth or fifth time when uh, when it was released i was going through the song choices that they were that they were making in the first episode all the way throughout some of the Egyptian songs that they'd chosen, um, which to local Egyptians were very famous songs, but had not broken out into the world. And you could see the reaction from people hearing this music that they hadn't heard before. They clearly put a lot of thought into the yeah. choices that were made in the show. And you feel like that's something you want to represent when you're doing a documentary. Look how much work these people put in. Give them an opportunity to share why they chose what they chose and, and, and let them talk about it. I, I totally agree with you guys. I think music is something that I'd love to see a bit and more And even of. some of the, you know, the more recent sort of the popular songs as well, given the, mm. the, the, the uh, cupcake van and mm. you had, um, oh, I wake can't me up re- before you go, go. Yeah, wake me up before you go, go. <laughs> Again, excellent. Hey, you had Engelbert Humperdinck dressed in a Moon Knight yeah. outfit on his Instagram. <laughs> Engelbert uh, Humperdinck and Moon Knight, two things I didn't think would be uh, would be meshing at any time in our pop culture. <laughs> that that song was in my head for days and days. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, absolutely, and and agree with Matt as well. I think um, the music it would have been good to have gotten, I guess, something as well because it, it did play a huge part. Um, yeah. Just though to give that uh that vibe of uh you know the arabic and the egyptian kind of culture uh Absolutely. you know even i always just remembered uh episode 3 with mark and layla on the boat and there there are those citizens you know having a party <laughs> doing an, and uh, and singing away so that sort of stuff it just fed into the whole vibe for the show so yeah it's it's a missed opportunity but again uh, availability may have played a part Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, overall, we we normally do our defence on uh, on episodes of uh, of Moon Knight. We'll also do a defend, I guess, on uh, on this uh, on this wrap up the assembled. Uh, John, do you want to kick off, or do you, do you defend uh, assembled Marvel Studios Moon Knight making of? 
Okay, I wasn't expecting this. Oh, but I mean, yes, I do defend it. It's always <laughs> nice to get the behind the the camera look. I mean, uh-huh. ever since Peter Jackson did the Lord of the Rings stuff, it's mm-hmm. like for me, it is almost essential viewing in terms of bringing you through the process. And I think this probably did it uh, the best we've seen it so far. I think mm-hmm. you can tell that with the assembled as they've gone on. They've warmed up, and I think they're getting a bit more clued in as to what they need to do. I know COVID was there, so maybe yeah. it was a bit more difficult. But yeah. um, I, I really enjoyed this, um, and certainly because, in any case, I love the series. I mean, I think I gave it five out of fives um, for each episode. I mean, it was totally out of thirty. I know, totally <laughs> in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, so with with everything and of course this just feeds into it sort of even deepens it further just the thought attention detail uh, and collaboration that goes into all the the different facets and i i think that's why you know it would be great to have the music it's such an emotional part of the mm-hmm. the experience uh, or the evocative side of it and in, in, in terms of what it brings to you and um, that i think it would be great to have all the different kind of units, I guess, involved. So, yeah, I do defend this. Absolutely. Ray, do you defend uh, this episode of uh, the Marvel's Making of series, Assembled? Oh, look, yeah, for sure. I, I admittedly don't watch too many of these behind-the-scenes things. Uh, so, again, I don't know how like true it is to, to other behind-the-scenes. I mean, I watched the WandaVision uh, assemble, which was fantastic as well. But I just think it's really, it's not just like lip service for the, the sake of giving a documentary and behind the scenes and just going, okay, there, we've done it. We'll show you a yeah. bit of footage, you know, when the cameras shut down and stuff. There's actual insight uh, that I got yeah. from Muhammad Diab and his conversations with uh, Benson and Moorhead uh, and the conversation or the interview with Oscar Isaac and May Calamo and all of them, it, they just give really good insight into what goes on behind. Um, yeah. And it's not just a matter of, you know, just seeing Oscar Isaac and Ethan have a bit of a chat in the, in the um, set chairs, you know, in between takes, which we got, which was yeah. cool. It's a lot <laughs> more than that, you know. And, and um, so I think it's, yeah. John, I'm starting to think it is essential viewing as well because it's it's just so interesting and it makes you appreciate it more. And, and like I said, I now just want to watch. Well, I'm I'm doing a rewatch now of the series because of having watched Assembled. So absolutely defend it. Excellent. I, I actually have a feeling that every screen in your house is playing Moon Knight at all times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not wrong. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah, for myself, I think uh, I'd echo you guys. Um, it's, it's the best of the of the assembled series that have, that have been released, probably because um, it feels like they know they're making something special here. It feels like everybody knows they're doing something very different here. Uh, yeah. One division felt exceptional because it was the first of the Marvel Disney Plus shows, and they knew how much pressure was on them making it and trying to make this half-era comedy effectively for the first couple of episodes building into this drama they knew they had something really special in there but this is a great making of it give some great insights and as you say the uh, the best testimony of it uh, ray is that i do want to go back and watch uh, midnight <laughs> another time we watched i think each episode about four times yeah uh, absolutely while we were while we were doing our podcasting but uh definitely looking forward to watching it again uh, and also we got a bit of feedback in from donald dennis one of our uh, wonderful defenders who was asking the question there are some making of pieces that are up on youtube uh, a couple of minutes um of uh, of some of the behind the scenes of of uh, midnight he was asking the question do you prefer that or do you prefer 
assembled. After watching this assembled documentary, which I think is the longest, an hour and, hour and seven minutes, I think I'd watch a four-hour version of it. I think I'd yeah. watch the Lord of the Rings appendices version of it, where it's 15 hours of every single department showing you what their work day yeah. is like and talking about everything that went into it, because it feels like a really interesting uh job for yeah. six or seven months for for all of these people or four years in the case of the writers and directors and and, uh, and the cast so um, i'd love to see more uh, really really good that's it for assembled a great discussion thanks so much for joining us for that ray it's uh, really good to get your your opinions uh, and thoughts on on the show as well we have one more piece of business before we shut down this uh, this wrap-up podcast which is our bar with no name quiz we've got our questions and answers this time not just questions actual answers yes, uh, for right. this yeah as though they were sort of chiseled onto large pieces of sandstone. Mm. <laughs> uh, yes, welcome back, fellow defenders and quizzes to the bar with no name. Mm. Uh, and uh, yes, I, I guess you'd probably have a baby Guinness or a full pint of Guinness. That's sort of <laughs> dark as night and with a, a moonlight type head on oh, it. I like that. I like yes, that. exactly. Um, Guinness, maybe that start advertising themselves as the drink of moonlight. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'd, I'd buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy it anyway. Um, <laughs> so we have our questions. We'll run through them mm. and followed by the answers. Um, and whoever wins will be in a chance for some goodies. Yes. Uh, once again, we did this whole thing where we have our, uh, our pub quiz. We went through the whole thing, gave it a question every single episode, told you to send in your answers, and you did. Thank you so much for doing that. But we didn't get a chance to tell you what the prizes were. Reason why is because we've been giving out pop uh, Funko Pops uh, yes. for all of the Marvel series and unfortunately the delay between the end of the show and when they're actually released is getting longer and longer and longer so we felt really bad at the, the most recent winner of uh, of our pub quiz um, Andrew Davis won the uh, Hawkeye pub quiz and he received his uh, Funko Pops from Hawkeye, which finished in December. He received them last week. Uh, thank you so much for your patience, Andrew, on that. That was purely the way they're being yeah. uh, being released. And I know he, had, he holds no grudges against us. But if we're giving away uh, some goodies for Moon Knight, we want to make sure you can actually get them in your hands soon after uh, we, we tell you that we can get them. So uh, unfortunately, the Moon Knight Funko Pops, I think, are being released towards the end of September, uh, which is way too long. So we have an alternative. Yes, we that. do. So we have Moon Knight Volume 1 by Jed McKay. Mm -hmm. This is the current um, run of Moon Knight that's that's currently live, I guess. So it's the first kind of collected volume mm -hmm. of, of the, the first number of issues from that comic run. Yeah. And then uh, one of the things that greatly influenced um, the, the look uh, of this series is Moon Knight by Lemire and Smallwood, mm. the complete collection. So mm. yes... You can get down sort of and dirty, I guess, with the complete collection by Lemire and Smallwood. Mm. Don't get too dirty. No, he's, don't, he's don't, get, yeah, don't get too dirty. I <laughs> Leave guess. a mark. I didn't know where I was going with that, so I just <laughs> said that. I vamp, guess. John, vamp. But <laughs> yes. let's let's go round. We've got six questions. There's three of us, so let's take a question each. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, let's kick off with Question one from the first episode, The Goldfish Problem. Uh, what cut steak does Stephen Grant order and how does he like his steak cut? 
it's the best bit cooked good yet very good and so <laughs> that is it yes you know uh, genuinely i think that's probably my favorite joke from the entire season yeah, and absolutely. when we watched ourselves and i know uh, you guys on into the night the midnight podcast also got the episodes in advance as well but mm. i remember laughing and going this is really funny and then the episode came out and then there were so many really sad memes of of uh, of poor stephen grant yeah. on his own um saying you know as a as a vegan going to a steak restaurant and just going i need the best bit whatever yeah. it is but that's it it reminded you know. me as a kid you know when you you've, you're not going out to restaurants or anything like mm. that and you start going as you get older or something you get first taken out by your parents or something mm. and you kind of go well i get a steak and then get all these questions from the waiter and i'm like I don't know. What does it even mean? <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you have to kind of learn. You, you have to sort of educate yourself as yeah. to the, the things around sort of different stakes that are, are on offer. So I completely got it. And yeah. the other side of the joke, as pointed out by many of the uh, many of our wonderful fellow defenders who entered the competition, the other side of that joke is the waiter completely takes um, Stephen Grant's answers uh incorrectly and gives him the exact opposite of what he asked for he asked for the best bit of the steak he ends off getting a center cut which is not the best bit of a steak <laughs> uh, and when he asks for it's good very good which means can you cook it really well for me he gets it well done well he done. gets it the worst type of cooking of a steak yeah. and one of the worst cuts of the steak as well so yeah. uh, poor Stephen, completely taken advantage of cremated <laughs> one, one of my favorite uh, scenes from that episode actually it was a uh, massively well done by Oscar Ozek, uh, just acting it. Uh, yeah, yeah, loved it. Yep, excellent stuff. Uh, episode two question: uh, Summon the suit was episode two. The question for that was: What number container does Stephen Grant explore to find out about a person named Mark Spector? Uh, the number was oh four three. It's beside the QR code, uh, which would have given you access to Moon Knight Annual uh, from twenty nineteen. Which I love that they did that throughout the season. That was a really cool yeah. touch. Yeah. But the number was oh four three. Yeah, I was trying to think of the relevance of 043. Did you know? Because also his apartment no. number, the, you know, they love dropping the little Easter eggs, but I could mm-hmm. not come up with what four zero four three was. So, yeah. yeah. But um, also a great, a great comic that um, 2019 Moon Knight up against mm-hmm. Kang of all people. So, How cool excellent. is that? How cool is that? Yeah. A, a character we're going to see back uh, in the future as well. So uh, really, really in- intriguing to see that uh, that available for free. So go check it out. You still can if you go get the QR code from uh, from episode two. Uh, Ray, do you want to give us the question for episode three? Yeah, sure. Uh, episode three, the friendly type. The question was, how many years does Conchu turn back the night sky over Egypt to help Mark, Stephen and Layla find the tomb of Amit? And it was 2,000 years Mm-hmm. I love yeah. this. I, I love it. again. Unfortunately, John doesn't get to read the answers that we get in, and I I love well, it I because you, well, I, I put them <laughs> I'm together. Locked away from them. <laughs> I put them together. I, I see what, what people are coming in, and they always think you're much harsher, harsher with your questioning than you actually are. So the answer is two thousand years. That's what's said on screen. Um, but everybody was looking for a much more specific answer. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, "Oh, in the show, is it two thousand and twelve years or two thousand and one years?" But no, simply two thousand years. Everybody got that one right. Yeah. So. Uh, so don't worry, John wasn't trying to punish you. Yeah, no, I mean, I am a scientist, but I, I wasn't going to work it out. <laughs> I just, just let Conchu do his uh, magic sort of uh, spin uh, movements and mm-hmm. spin. Uh, and yes, so 2,000 years. Excellent. Uh, question 
four. Yes, from the episode The Tomb. In the vault of the imprisoned gods, how many of Shabby's or stone statues are seen in total, including Conshu's Shabti? Yes, I realised I pronounced that word differently um, to that uh, question. <laughs> it's not too bad, John. No, not too bad. <laughs> but it was ten. Mm. There are ten. So the the gods are pretty naughty really aren't they i guess Ooh. they get locked away quite often well i guess there yeah. are a few i was trying to see if you could spot them uh who they might be but i i i couldn't recognize uh-huh. any of this but i'm I, sure one of them is the equivalent to i guess mephisto he's <laughs> <laughs> gotta be there he's gotta be there somewhere he's gotta be um, well, I, th- I think it's a great op- opportunity for the show to kind of put some of the more well-known gods on ice. Uh, I think that was a, a great idea. So we do have uh, we do have a certain sun god um, called Ra, who uh, did not appear in Moonlight TV show and wasn't mentioned at all. Yeah. Uh, possible that he might have been in one of those shapties and could come back in the future because hey, sun and moon are up. That's, yes, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely possibilities. Right, I've got the great question. Thanks, John. Our most unusual question we've ever done on a pub quiz. Um, Episode 5, Asylum. Stephen prefers cricket and... Uh, calls out six when he hits uh, the uh, the attackers uh, yeah. on on the boat of um, of Twarat. What is a six in cricket? Hmm. Oh, actually, Ray, yes. do you know the answer to this off the top of your head? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Aussie, I love cricket. <laughs> there you go. Um, there you go. So, the, the, is this the accurate answer then, uh, Ray uh, or or John? Because both of you kind of know, uh, kind of know cricket. Uh, so, a, a six is a shot hit by a batsman where the ball goes over the boundary rope of the cricket pitch without touching the ground and is worth six points. Hence, the six. Absolutely, yeah. 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 In That's the it? in no. the older days, there was no rope, so it would just be over the like the fence. Yeah. Um, but mm. now there's a predetermined. Um, measurement of the oval, so there may be a rope, and as long as it clears it, uh, then that's a big six, the highest then you- shot you can score in cricket. Yeah. Very yeah. good, very good. I love that uh, that John was getting everybody in America to look at what <laughs> is awesome. cricket yeah. and what is a six. In Hopefully, cricket. not too many people uh, went to an asylum and went crazy because uh, of it. Cause, uh, <laughs> but I guess it was linked to the the episode. Yes. Uh, I, I guess it's the roles are reversed when talking about baseball, because mm-hmm. um, I didn't understand baseball when I sat through. I think it was a good eight hours of it in Baltimore, and <laughs> um, although it's five days for cricket, yeah. I guess. So, yeah. yeah, just. Be thankful that Stephen didn't shout out LBW. That would have been really hard. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I I don't really follow cricket. Um, it's mainly for the drinking in the stands because right? <laughs> it is over for it, it goes over for five days. So if you get good weather, it's uh, yes, it good turns fun. into a bit of a riot. Good fun. <laughs> um, the final question is on episode six: Gods and Monsters. And the question is, what car does Jake Lockley drive and what is the registration plate? And the answer is a Rolls-Royce Phantom limousine and mm-hmm. license plate registration plate SPKTR Spectre, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting little, uh, little Easter egg that, of course, when we put it into the questions, we can't bloody talk about it on the episode as an Easter egg. So, <laughs> so we were probably the only podcast out there that couldn't talk they about didn't the, say uh, it, exactly. the limousine uh, with the Spectre number plate. So uh, so very interesting. Interesting that it's Jake Lockley driving the car with the Spectre number plate, but it is a reference to the comic books. That is uh, that is a number plate that you can see in the comic books in uh, Stephen Grant's limousine, I believe. Mm. Uh, but it's also got the Spectre number plate. Uh, but anyway, 
Loved it. Great moment uh, at the final final episode of the season as well. Um, will we give some goodies to our uh, our fellow defenders, John? Definitely. Yes. So there were eight people that got all the answers correct uh, after mm. the uh, the full run of six questions. And yeah. uh, they are Suzanne Nelson, Bob Phillips, Victor Sellers, Brendan Jones, Clyde Wheeler. Adam Downing, Jamie Lawton, and Will Walton. Absolutely well uh, done. We also had Andrew Davis and Steve Brown. They mm-hmm. were entered as well, but uh, unfortunately... Um, just missed out. Just missed out. Yeah. So, um, yes, apologies for that. But we will now go to our electronic, googly, randomizer <laughs> sort of tombola. Okay. I'm going to try. Let's, let's see if she works for us again. Um, hey, Google, give me a number between zero and eight. Four. Number four. The winner is Brendan Jones. Well done, Brendan. Yes. Ooh, well well done. done, Brendan. Uh, the goodies uh, will be winging their way to you, but we'll be in touch first to yeah. find out where they should <laughs> wing their way to. Yes, we're not going to post them to a random address. We're going to yeah. ask you for your address and then uh, and then send them out to you. Well done, Brendan. That's uh, that's really good uh, to get all those questions right. Uh, thanks for sticking with us throughout the six-episode season of Moon Knight, and thanks for uh, taking part in the pub quiz, because that's always a bit of fun. Yes. A little extra uh, chance to go back and watch the episode and pause at weird moments uh, that John has decided arbitrarily <laughs> to ask his questions from. Well, I, I think I was becoming predictable. People were starting to just find out where there was a number mm. within the episode and it would be that. So I had to change it up. Hence, well, I guess hence the cricket one, but that was also a number. So yes, I guess there's a there's, there's a theme going on with my questions. Excellent. Excellent. But I try to make them of the show. Yes. Yes. Great job. And congratulations once again, Brennan Jones. Uh, two quick pieces of feedback to close us out on the episode, if that's all right, guys. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Kick off first with an email in from Jerry. Yes. Uh, Jerry says, hey, guys, the making of Moon Knight was good behind the scenes of the process of collaboration. How everyone had a say in their character. They officially say the name Scarlet Scarab as well. I was amazed at the new technology used on Konshu and Tarret. Uh, upon rewatching the series, I enjoyed more that the series was not tethered to the MCU proper. I hope we get more Moon Knight soon, or at least more Scarlet Scarab, your loyal avatar, Jerry in Niceville. Uh, thanks, Jerry. I-, I think you're right. I think uh, we're all wanting a bit more mm. Moon Knight, uh, certainly on this podcast. Um, and... Uh, Definitely into the night, I'm sure. Uh, I think I'd be fairly shocked if there was a big no going on there. But uh, it's like... like, um, Ray's like, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) They ruined it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Then, so definitely, yeah, I'm I'm hoping so too. And I I think you're right. You know, I think there's something about... I love the MCU, definitely. Uh, But I've... Sometimes I do get slightly annoyed when they talk about consistencies and it having to be kind of like funneled down a certain thing and, and, and what have you. Cause I like the, the individualness of different characters yeah. and so on. And so I think in, in, in this series, um, I think they did that really, really well. Um, and I mean, to be honest, I, I'm hoping, um, that they link. Moon Knight in somewhere to the Midnight Suns or something mm-hmm. like that. Certainly because we've got the Black Knight uh, and what have you. And I guess because of the the London setting, I thought you'd just never know. But anyway, yep, who we, knows? We always um 
we always kind of posit this question as well, like how does he fit into the MCU? I wanted to ask you guys, what would be the the most oddball pairing, could you think, for Moon Knight in the current <laughs> stretch of N- MCU characters? Who would you like to like to see? Like, really, you know, I think there's a way they could do it, but. Look, I'm a Nick Fury fan, so I want everybody to pair up with Nick Fury. <laughs> There's a way they could do it because of Mark's history as a as a mercenary. You could kind of lead that into uh, into Shield, but I would love mm-hmm. to see Samuel L. Jackson on screen with Oscar Isaac trying to work out who this character is in front of him. I'd love to see that interaction between those two characters, but I think it'd be a weird pairing. Well, and there's the whole <laughs> MI6 thing as well, and I guess mm-hmm. so. I guess the mercenary stuff as well as, you know, I guess even some of the investigative noir. Mm. Uh, for me, I would like to see Midnight Suns because then I know that also there is the potential for Doctor Strange. Because right. I really want to see the bar with no name come mm. on oh, yeah. this. And I think um, with with all the other characters that could potentially go into the Midnight Suns mm. um, as well, that, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely like to see that. I think the oddball thing would probably if they paired him with dc maybe superman given, uh, you know, <laughs> or, or condiment king uh, from dc right uh, you know something like that and um, so do you know i would say oddball coupling would be moon knight and miss marvel but the comic book is coming out in a couple yeah of time. that's true um, so that's true. i guess we're gonna yeah. see that pairing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah how about yourself for any any thoughts on oddball i know i was just thinking like who's the furthest removed from what who moon knight would probably see i, I don't know maybe ant-man or maybe star lord somehow but i don't see mm. how they would uh but again that would be very odd to see yeah. them i i think jake lockley would probably kill thor if the current <laughs> mcu version of thor came came in he would like oh Oh yeah, no. <laughs> well, we, we did talk about that moment where Conchu spins uh, spins the sky to spin mm. it back two thousand years, and whether that's put all the guardians off track <laughs> in, in, in the yeah, rest exactly. of the galaxy. Will they come back to Earth to find out what the hell this guy Conchu did to the exactly. galaxy? <laughs> uh, good stuff. Thanks so much. And, and just a really interesting point there from Jerry that uh, that they did call out Scarlet Scarab uh, in the documentary that we yeah. wasn't called out in the show uh, overall. Um, thanks for that. Uh, over on Facebook, we got some feedback in from Lara Willie Swink, who says, "I loved hearing how collaborative the production process was." and to find out how much of the character of Moon Knight was attributed to Oscar Isaac. No wonder he was given an executive producer title. His invention of Stephen Grant as a bumbling, but kind-hearted Londoner instead of a New Yorker was just genius. I'm so glad that they made the show more character-focused. We have lots of Marvel content with superhero action. I felt this character's deep dive, similar to WandaVision, offered something different for Marvel fans. One of the reasons we love this universe so much is because of the humanity we get from our characters, not just over-the-top CGI action. Though, Personally, I love that in Moon Knight too. Uh, I was also super impressed by the costume and production design, turning Budapest into Cairo and all the care and craftsmanship that went into creating the Moon Knight costume. Even small details like the hieroglyphs sewn into the costume, which will most likely never be shown on camera. It just shows the love and passion that was poured into these projects. Yeah. From this documentary, it's clear to see the overall passion brought to the show, so I really hope Marvel will consider a second season. It also seems like Oscar Isaac truly enjoyed playing this character, so I've set out my offerings to Osiris and the rest of the Pantheon that we get to have him back in the MCU as Moon Knight and all of his many alters. Lara also adds, Oh snap, when I saw the desert tomb scenes in Moon Knight, I immediately thought it looked like the ancient city of Petra, where one of my favourite music videos, Sisters of Mercy Dominion, was filmed. (laughs) Just got to the part of the documentary where Oscar mentions that's where they were filming near the city. Mind blown. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Excellent. Thank you so much for your thoughts, Lara. 
Yeah, thanks, Laura. Um, it's interesting to say about the the action as as opposed to sort of maybe the more character stuff like mm. with Wanda, because definitely has that. But I, I think Kevin Feige, right up front of the assembled, says he's a more action orientated yeah. um, character from from the the comics and so on. And I, I guess I know what he means by that, and he's kind of hands on and so on. But I just thought. Pretty much most of the characters are pretty action-orientated. <laughs> There's a lot of action in these MCU movies. But I think you're right that the character, but the characters on offer, both as the altars of, of, uh, of Mark, but also those around him as well. Mm. It, it is so much to explore yeah. and um, interaction that really goes through. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Lara, as well. I mean, why not play to your strengths? And this is, you know, rife for it, uh, Moon Knight, the character, and also you've got someone of the calibre of Oscar Isaac. So, you know, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's great how we do get this humanity throughout the MCU, and it's not all just action. I mean, I'd love my action too, but... And and this was actually quite divisive between Moon Knight fans as well. There not being enough action in this. But I think, again, the character for of Moon Knight... Uh, it just, it screams, you know, character study. And I think that yeah. they did it really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Lara, for your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Uh, Ray, do you want to take the final piece of feedback? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so this is from our good friend, Lena, uh, part of the DRD system uh, in our ITK community and, and avid listener to TV podcast mm-hmm. industries. Uh, Lena writes in, I thought this was very interesting. Of course, one of the things that caught my attention the most was how much they talked about wanting to get the representation of DID right and Oscar's acting choices in portraying the alters. I thought it was interesting that Oscar talked about being able to see which alter was out in his eyes uh, because that is very much true to the actual DID, to actual DID. As I've said before, switches are often a lot more subtle than how they are portrayed in most fiction, but as they say, the eyes are the window to the soul. We've been told by friends that know us well that they can see the change in our eyes when we switch. In fact, I've been told that when we switch from Doug to me, Lena, my pupils immediately dilate a bit bigger, uh, a bit larger. We've also noticed that when we look in the mirror, we see Doug's face instead of our own, because that's what our physical body looks like. But if we look directly into our own eyes in the mirror, those eyes look like our true internal self, even if they're not the right color or shape. Um, But I also found the rest of this show fascinating too. It was cool to see how they really went the extra mile to make everything look authentic, from building the huge template set to recreating Cairo in Budapest, to making actual costumes of Konshu, Amit and Tauret so the digital artists would have a reference for the different textures of the costumes. I think this documentary actually made me love the show even more, which I didn't think was possible. Lena. Fantastic. It's great thoughts, Lena, as always. Really yeah, good to hear uh, your insight on it. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, I, I, I do love that they say they're pushing forward the idea of, of DID. You want to make sure it's, it's represented uh, correctly, but it is for entertainment. So they aren't, uh, they aren't taking credit for this being the only way you can see DID as well. So they're, they're very clear about that. But, uh, but great to see that, that yeah. you feel at least it's representing it in a, in a great way. I, yeah. I think that was the, the great thing of Oscar Isaac talking about it in the assembled mm. it was a another bit more layering of the information that certainly for me is you know is new to be honest mm-hmm. so um it just giving the the different sort of thoughts on did so it, it's really good and I, I think you're right i think the this assembled 
um, really touches the right stuff to get you deeper into the series, I think, in some respects, even though there's a bit of a mission on certain things, like we've discussed on mm-hmm. on music or whatever. But it, I think, uh, yeah, that's great stuff. Thanks, Lena. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. What a great final word uh, from Layla, Lena uh, to, to close out there that it makes you love the show even more. Yeah, exactly. that's, a, that's a good way to close out our feedback and a good way to close out our coverage of Assembled and Moon Knight overall. Will we see him back in the future? Will we see a Moon Knight season two? Will we see Moon Knight in the movies? I think we're all crossing our fingers hoping so. But we want to say a huge thank you as always uh, for Ray for joining us uh, from Into the Night, the Moon Knight yes. podcast. We've wanted to have a podcast podcast with you for a long time, Ray. It's been a while. We've uh, we've all been on uh, Into the Night. Uh, you've been on TV Podcast Industries for uh, Penny Dreadful uh, quite a while ago now. That's probably two years ago now. Uh, so it's great to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, and, you know, you're welcome over at our temple any any day of the week as well. No, but really great. Thank you. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to kind of relive as well all the great points of, of this TV show. Uh, you know, just talking about it with you guys just makes me, again, want to watch it again. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Fantastic. This is the final episode of the Midnight Podcast, but we've got loads more to come. June is a big month over here on TV Podcast Industries. We are covering The Boys Season 3. First three episodes of that come out next week. Oh, it's mental. I said it on the on the Picard podcast. I've forgotten how insane that show goes. Um, that first episode. Uh, just just be prepared not to have any kids around uh, in the yes. first episode. It, it goes very, very extreme. Uh, we will also be covering Miss Marvel, who we've mentioned earlier on, a six-episode show coming from the 8th of, uh, of June. Really looking forward to Miss Marvel. I'm so excited. I really like the character in the comic books and what I've seen of her uh, from uh, video games as well. Uh, really excited to see what they do in the show. And I know... Um, it's going to be something again, very different for the Marvel Universe. A teenage girl uh, who's a Muslim in the in the Marvel Universe uh, getting her superpowers. So uh, it's going to be very different to the stories we've seen before. So very excited to see. Yes, and finally, we are covering Umbrella Academy season three mm-hmm. that is out also in June on Netflix. So no rest for the wicked, <laughs> I guess. Yes. <laughs> What did I do? <laughs> I think Arthur Harrow obviously would judge me uh, pretty badly because I've obviously been very wicked. Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm gone for two weeks. Chris yep. has gone for two weeks. So you don't know what kind of potluck uh, host you're going to get uh, on TV podcast industries for that, for sure. Well, you do. You know I'm going to be Well, there. you're going to be there, yeah. I hope you like my voice, fellow defenders, because if you don't like my voice, <laughs> you're really screwed. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you for all your thoughts. Thanks for staying with us. And thanks for uh, for always uh, following along with us on TV Podcast Industries. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, always great to get the feedback at the end of uh, a Marvel Disney Plus or Marvel Netflix show because uh, it's great to get everyone's thoughts on it. It's been great to have Ray over as well. I don't know, Ray, do you want to mention to the listeners where they can find you? Oh, yeah. Um, just the easiest way is maybe on Twitter at Ray Ray Pod, R-E-Y-R-E-Y Pod. Uh, I, I just love talking about comics, uh, anything to do related, anything related with comics. Uh, and yeah, I've got a few podcasts there. One on Moon Knight, Into the Night, uh, one on Spider Woman, To Know Her Is To Fear Her, uh, on Last Sons of Krypton, it's a Superman podcast. Mm-hmm. And finally, last Tuesday of every month, I'm doing a Scarlet Spider Spotlight on Capes and Lunatics. So yeah, just catch me on Twitter. Happy to chat. Great Excellent stuff. stuff. And if you want to know more about Moon Knight, highly recommend uh, Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. It's our source for all things Moon Knight. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, you can find us and subscribe over at TV Podcast Industries.com. 
com on any moon loving or sun hating podcast catcher of okay. your choice, I guess. <laughs> um, okay but yes, we will be back in June with Loads. a crazy hour, I guess, on <laughs> podcast releases. Um, so yes, uh, coffee, lots of coffee required, I think, yep. for, for everyone involved. But thank you so much, fellow defenders, for joining us. As always, it is a pleasure. Keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending. Bye. Bye.